The last of the great human freedoms is the ability to choose one's attitude in any given circumstance. And I can extract myself from the suffering because my attitude can trump my ego's frustration about the situation if I lock in power of my mind to choose differently. I'm going to master this thing called teaching. And I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to travel whatever distance. I'm going to pay whatever price to give my service of love across this planet. And I'm not going to let any human being on the face of this planet stop me, not even myself. And genius is available in all of us in the area of our highest value when we care enough intrinsically to be inspired to go after solving those problems. It's, it's waiting for all of us to do that. We can expand our awareness, consciousness, to expand who we are as beings into this new human being that we're becoming. It's the tension and the contrast that actually helps to push us through to the next level of evolution. Our cells have consciousness and so does the bacteria. So we can also tune into our bodies and, and work with our bodies more knowing that and appreciating these billions of points of consciousness. Now when that change takes place, the momentum that's created in our life from that moment on is monumental insights, the wisdom, the guidance, the direction, the spontaneous goodness, serendipity, coincidence, things start to work together for good because we're now in a flow of our personal mind, but we're in the flow of the mind of God. Welcome to the High Performance Health Podcast. This is a show entirely devoted to the exploration of physical vitality, emotional well-being, and mental fitness. I'm your host and tour guide, Ronnie Landis. I'm a multiple published author, international speaker, performance health coach, global activist, and wellnesspreneur. So buckle your seat, get ready to take notes, and enjoy the ride. It's go time. Before we start the show, I want to highlight one of our sponsors, which is an incredible spring water company called Alive Spring Water, which delivers the cleanest, highest quality, pure living water directly to your doorstep. I have been a spring water fanatic for over 10 years, and incorporating spring water into my lifestyle has been one of the single biggest game changers in my overall health and also in the well-being of all of my clients. There is something truly magical about consuming pure living water directly from its source and literally rebuilding all of your red blood cells from it. It's a type of energy and level of hydration that nothing else compares to. Alive Spring Water delivers fresh spring water in select areas including all over California and is tested for impurities, environmental contaminants, and total dissolved solids. They also ship their water in beautiful flower of life geometry glass jugs which are perfect for storing water and dispensing it from the kitchen or office countertop. Check out their website at www.alivewaters.com to see if they ship in your area. They also ship their custom made glass jugs all over the world and they come in all sizes including glass dispensers. You can use the code HPHEALTH, that code is HPHEALTH, like high performance health, HPHEALTH, to receive a discount on your water and glass orders. Also, make sure to check out their sister site, www.findaspring.com, which is a worldwide repository for natural springs that has been tested and secured. 
This is a great way to discover new spring water sources in your local area that you can go to and fill up your new bottles at for yourself and for your family. Those websites again are www.alivewaters.com. That's A Live L I V E waters.com and www.findaspring.com. Now, let's get ready for today's show. Greetings and aloha. Welcome to another edition of the Holistic Human Optimization Show. I am your host as always, Ronnie Landis, and we have another deep dive episode for you all today. Uh, This is continuing our season four on longevity strategies, and this may be the most important aspect of longevity If you really were to chunk it all down and you were to distill it all out and you were to decode the matrix of health and longevity and wellness and regeneration, then you really cannot leave this aspect of the conversation out of it. And this would probably be the main focal point. If I were working with anybody uh, when I am working with people, I should say, and uh, particularly people that are looking to maximize life extension, um, to increase epigenetic factors, to increase regenerative, um, restorative aspects of their, their, let's just call it their biology, their body, their health, then this is probably the area I focus on the most. And this is one of the areas that does get focused on the most particularly because we live in a society that has so many different um, so many different aspects in terms of what we have to juggle every single day. You know, we're juggling all these different things, our work, our family, our, our fitness routines, our health lifestyle, um, our jobs, our, our maybe a business on the side. Maybe we're an entrepreneur. We have multiple businesses. Uh, you know, you want to learn new skills, you know, there's all these different things with the age of information and the age of abundance also comes the age of stress, the age of distress, the age of overwhelm. And so really thinking about cognitive enhancement, how to enhance mental cognition, how to enhance mental and emotional balance and composure, And also particularly focusing on how to protect the brain from neurodegenerative conditions that are age-related, age-associated, but ultimately are due to the common factors of nutrient deficiency, environmental toxicity, opportunistic pathogens or opportunistic organisms, infections in the nervous system, infections in the brain um, that have gone past the blood-brain barrier. It made it made its way into the two-pound tissue of our brain, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. These are the these are the main things underneath it all. But then when you really, really start to get a bird's eye view, um, there's a lot of other things to talk about. And so I really just wanted to start this conversation off with a few things because this is going to go deep. We are going to go deep into the physiology, the neurophysiology of the brain, of the nervous system. You are going to get a deep dive 101 on the brain, the nervous system, the electrical highway complex that really governs and runs everything. 
It's really the operating system of every single holistic function of the body. And that's why we really have to take a bit of a deep dive into all this. We're also going to go over some interesting topics that um, I just, yeah, I think it's just going to be really interesting. There's a lot here. I, I just have a whole body of notes distilled in bullet points that um, this may be the most extensive note taking I've ever done for any episode. Um, just because this is such a, a voluminous volume of information, just when we talk about brain health and longevity, this is no simple task. But uh, I'm happy to take it on, just like I have taken on it all of these episodes, um, and uh, really just dive into it with all of you. So we're gonna we're gonna open this up. So first of all, I want to talk about a few concepts. Well, second of all, actually, I'm gonna talk about a few concepts that are really gonna are gonna be the context for everything else that we get into, more of the science and the technical information and understanding the structure and functionality of the brain and the nervous system and the physiology. Then at some point we're gonna get deep into the actual practical applications. How do you protect your brain? How do you create regenerative factors in your brains, in your neurons, in the synaptic connections of the brain, the plasticity of the brain? How do you accelerate learning potential, activating genius? We're going to get into that as well. So let me catch my breath here before we jump right in. Okay, by the way, breath is very important. Increasing oxygenation and blood flow to the brain is one of the most important factors of good brain health. Okay, so first of all, what we're doing here is we are taking a deep dive to understand how to gain control of the fundamental operating system of the body, of the mind, of the emotional complex. This would be the brain and the nervous system. This is what the operating system essentially is. Now, if you go back to the last season and we talked a lot about brainwave states, we talked about the placebo effect, we talked about the quantum collapse process So in the, in the, the body-mind connection. So we did an entire series on the body-mind connection, right? Now we're talking more about the physiology of that. We're bridging those two gaps together. Um, so here's an interesting idea. There's more neurons in your brain than there are stars in the, in the known solar system. Now that is a quote that I got from Dr. Daniel Amen. If you remember in one of our past episodes, Dr. Daniel Amen is the world's leading, um, clinical, uh, really a scientist and also a, a doctor. He's the world's leading expert in brain imaging scans uh, through his clinic. And basically what he has done is he's compiled an incredible volume of brain scans to show where the neural activity stops in different regions of people's brains um, and all the different causative factors, meaning the dietary factors, the, um, the, the environmental toxicity factors, stress-induced factors that shut off different regions of the brain, i.e. blood flow and electrical activity gets shut off. And then using nutrition and using a holistic lifestyle to reactivate those centers of the brain that have gone inactive. 
that is pretty amazing. And so this quote basically says that there's more neurons in the brain, there's more neural activity, more electrical activity than there are stars in the known solar system. Very, very fascinating, very powerful concept and idea to realize, you know, what what is the real human potential here? Because ultimately what this conversation is pointing to, just like all of our conversations, it's pointing to potential. It's pointing to the human potential of what's possible. And when we understand the science, we understand the quantum mechanics, we understand the practical tools like the dietary options and strategies and, and all that kind of thing, then we can start to maximize potential which is amazing. Okay, so now what I want to talk about is states of harmony and states of disharmony. And I'll break this down very simply because ultimately all this is pointing to creating more of a harmonization of our entire biological system. So the way that I'll define states of harmony from this perspective is neural integration, integrating our entire neural faculties in states of disharmony essentially mean neural disintegration. Otherwise, it can be two different meanings. It can be an unintegration of our neural activity, like in that that example with the brain scans, when parts of our brain are not firing functionally, there's not enough electrical activity or blood flow going to certain regions of the brain, or in a neurodegenerative sense, neural disintegration, where there's literally a disintegration or a deconstruction of our neural activity or otherwise neurons in the brain or certain parts of the brain regions that are breaking down. So that is one, that's just a perspective. It's something to consider from a harmony, a holistic harmony perspective. Now let's talk about the three different brains that occupy the the biological system of the brain or the body, I mean. So think of the brain as three brains in one. You have the cerebral brain, which is that two-pound organ in your head. And then you have the gut brain. We talked about this in a previous episode, the gut brain connection. And then you have the cardio brain. We also talked about this in depth, the heart as the electromagnetic generator of the body and the sensory neurites that are in the heart, the brain neurons that actually are localized in the heart. So there's three different brains that occupy the complete system of neural activity, i.e. the nervous system and the intelligence governing system of the body, otherwise known as the operating system. So there's three different brains. We've talked about this extensively in past episodes. I just want to remind you about those those perspectives and now gain a better perspective on how the brain in your head actually functions as a holistic system. So as we're going deeper into this, and like I said, there's so many things that we want to talk about. So I'm going to do the best I can to synthesize and consolidate these topics um, in a concise manner. We're going to move through this. There's three particular phenomenology of the from the brain perspective the the neurological perspective that i want to talk about the first thing is neurogenesis so neurogenesis is the generation and regeneration of neurons by the way of neurostem cells so neurostem cells are actually they're types of stem cells that help to reproduce 
to generate, particularly in our formative years, our developmental years as a human being when we're born and we go through um, childhood and we're developing our nervous system, those neurostem cells are generating neurons. Now, the common thought, as I mentioned in a prior episode, was that you're, you know, this is your lot in life. The same thing with genetics. This is why epigenetics is such an incredible phenomenon, such an incredible research study now, is that there's certain aspects of our genetics and our neurology, particularly the brain cells, that are designed to regenerate themselves. If you have the nutrition, if you have the environmental conditions, if you have the emotional composure, the emotional balance, all these things play into our ability to regenerate broken down neurons. And this is um, a deeper subject and there's a lot more that we could dive into. But I just want to point that out. So neurogenesis, part of the, the neuroprotective, the neuropreventative strategy for protecting our brain from age-associated or environmental toxin-associated neurodecline or neurodegenerative conditions. The next concept is neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity is the ability of the brain to form and reorganize synaptic connections, especially in response to learning or experiencing a learning or a, or a new experience, a novel experience, or even following an injury. So neuroplasticity, very, very interesting idea, very powerful idea. Basically, your brain is, is plastic in a sense, meaning that it can reform itself, and this has a positive and a negative effect. Just like the placebo conversation, this points exactly to what we're talking about. The placebo is the positive aspect of how our brain changes itself. It remodels itself, but like the nocebo effect, based on negative input – based on negative thoughts, detrimental emotional states that are held far too long in the system, our brain can wire and model itself based on negative information. So this is why chronic negative pessimistic thinking actually gets rooted in the system and it can be hard to uproot that based on the principle of neuroplasticity. So to go a little bit further in a more technical sense, neurons, i.e. nerve cells, connect or reconnect and change the brain structure and function when they are stimulated through repeated input. That input can be physical, sensory, or mental, or depending on what we're trying to learn. So essentially, this is the concept of accelerated learning. We are always taking in information from our suggestive environment, and that environment, i.e. the epigenetic aspect, the information from our environment is, is basically teaching our brain how to model itself so it can properly interface with the common familiar environment, i.e. relationships, um, you know, the, our job, our, what we're habituated to interfacing with. This is why novel input, new input, positive input, and reinforcing that positive input is the ultimate way to reshaping the brain and the, neuron, the neuronal synaptic connections to reshaping your brain in a positive, healthy way. And then the next thing is synaptogenesis, which is 
Very similar. Synaptogenesis is basically the formation of synapses between neurons in the nervous system. So synapses or synaptic webbing is the synaptic connections that connect the neurons together and create that communication grid, that communication system between neurons that can communicate with one another and ultimately uh, control the communication system of the overall operating system. Now, when we talk about synaptogenesis, I also want to talk about something called synaptic pruning, which is a very powerful idea. And a technical definition of synaptic pruning is that it's a natural process that occurs in the brain between early childhood and adulthood. During synaptic pruning, the brain eliminates extra synapses. Synapses, again, are brain structures that allow the neurons to transmit an electrical or chemical signal to another neuron. Okay, So this is a huge aspect of developmental neurology. It's pruning... Well, let me say it this way. The, the consensus idea is that your brain only prunes up until adolescence. So you're learning new things as a child. You're learning, how to, you're learning mobility and movement patterns and how to walk upright bipedally as a, as a you know, upright being. Essentially, a baby is trying to learn how to, to be bipedal, to move upright, and then develop those motor functions. And then it starts pruning non-essential information, non-essential synaptic connections and neurons, that's synaptic pruning. There's another idea that's interesting. It's very similar. It's basically called anti-memory, where the brain has a specific mechanism to forget certain memories that are non-essential. Now, this is an interesting idea. We're not going to dive too deep into it. You can cross-reference it for a lot of other things that we've talked about in prior episodes, particular to trauma. When a trauma occurs, then there's a hyper-focalization, there's a hyper-focus on the trauma and whatever regions of the brain or the nervous system that have been most powerfully affected, particularly by the emotions that were created by the trauma, not the trauma itself, but it's the rememorizing of the trauma and the emotional input or the emotional experience of the trauma that tends to lock that trauma in place. So essentially, we have to start to forget about the trauma in order to heal and transcend the traumatic experience and all the neurological activity that comes along with it. So what's been shown is that it's not just until adolescence that synaptogenesis occurs, or synaptic pruning in this case occurs, I should say. This is a process that can occur throughout one's life but it takes a bit of focus. It takes an understanding of, of the science of it and then, and then applying that. You can forget who you used to be because who you used to be and your identity and your ideas and about who you are and all the repeated patterns and rehearsed patterns are just that. They're rehearsed habitual patterns that create um, the, that uh, – how should I say this? that basically define who you are from a neurological perspective, but that isn't the final, the final uh, curtain call, so to speak. That isn't, that isn't the, the final say, right? You do have say in who you can become and how to learn new skills, how to forget old things that are no longer essential. And when you practice new skills, new learning activities, you learn new, new things, right? Right. 
Um, you take on new habits like changing your lifestyle, for example. Essentially, as you continue to practice that and re-rehearse those new patterns, it, it rewires the system, right? It rewires the synaptic connections. That's a very powerful idea. And synaptic pruning is basically likened to a garden. So imagine your mind or your brain and all the webbing and, and every, all the electrical activity and the neurons and all that. Imagine that part of a garden and what you're doing, what your brain is designed to do is actually pluck out the weeds or synaptically prune out those old messages those old weeds, those, are, those old circuits would be the most accurate way of saying it, and prune those out in replacement for new circuitry. But you have to put the input in, the new input, and continue to rehearse the new input in order to prune out the old, right? Life is, life is not a vacuum. It doesn't work like a vacuum. You have to replace something of the old with something of the new that's more powerful than the habit of the old and then your brain can start to remodel itself and that's how you become a completely new version of who you can be. Not based on the past but based on the inspired future brought into the present moment like we detailed in the quantum collapse episode. Okay, so those are a few ideas that are going to set us up for how we move forward. Now, I want to talk about a few other things here. So there's uh, nootropics. From a nutrient supplement perspective, there's an entire field called nootropics. And basically what a nootropic is, is a type of um, – it's mostly, it's mostly talked about as particular types of supplements. Let's call it brain nutrients. Now, what exactly defines a nootropic? Well, technically speaking, there's two functions that define an herb, a food, a superfood, or a supplement, or even certain types of physical activity as having a nootropic effect. And that basically is either vasodilation and or the increase of what's called NGF, nerve growth factors. So we're going to talk a little bit about that as well vasodilation and nerve growth factors. Now, I'm not going to go into a whole dissertation on nootropics and brain nutrients. I am going to talk about, as we get to the end of this, I am going to talk about um, certain things that do increase both of these functions, but I just want to define what a nootropic is and also that if you want to learn more about these brain nutrients in, in quote-unquote nootropic supplements, um, my favorite nootropic supplement under the sun is from a company called Neurohacker, and the, the product is called Qualia Mind. I've been playing around with this for a number of years. My friend Daniel Schmachtenberger, who I've had on the show a couple of years ago, he is the field researcher and formulator for that product, and that is absolutely my favorite set of brain nutrients and, um, you know, there's a lot more I could say about that, but I'm going to leave it at that because there's so many people that, you know, in the biohacking community, in the bio-optimization community that have really specialized in that. So it's not hard to really get a good education on that. I'm going to digress from that and go right into three particular functions that really I would describe as nootropic in nature and also are fundamental mechanisms for increasing 
the remodeling effect and the cognitive enhancement of our, our brain faculties. So the three functions I want to talk about are vasodilation, myelination, and neurotransmission. I began studying this about, I don't know, I want to say like seven years ago when I got very focused on brain health and how to increase learning potential, how to activate our genetic genius, and how to increase our cognitive capacity um, for learning new information, taking in all this information and, and memorizing it, making it an embodied wisdom practice, and, and actually being able to make it part of our life and increasing the health and vitality of our physical brain. So vasodilation is basically increasing blood flow and oxygen flow throughout the circulatory system, which ultimately increases brain oxygenation of yeah, oxygenation of the brain through the way of blood flow. Now, there are a lot of interesting uh, there's a lot of interesting things about this, but I'll just keep it simple. When we think of certain neurodegenerative conditions, particularly a stroke, for example, this is actually part and parcel to something called calcification. So most people think of a stroke as a cognitive inhibiting condition, and, and it is a cognitive inhibiting condition. However, it's cardiovascular in nature, and there's a piece of calcification that, that breaks off usually from, like, let's say, the aortic valve of the heart, and certain pieces of calcium phosphate crystals or maybe some other type of material makes its way up to the veins, and the veins get thinner and thinner as they reach up into the brain from the, from the cardiovascular system. And a certain blockage occurs. So blood flow essentially cannot get to the brain. And then that's really what a stroke is. Now, there's two definitions of a stroke. There's um, there's a there's a impact injury aspect of a stroke, which is a little bit different. And that would be much more of a neurological um, uh, issue. And then the other aspect of the stroke is exactly what I'm talking about, which is there's a blockage in blood flow. So we're going to talk more about that when we get into calcification. But right now, I just want to I just want to um, talk about vasodilation, and and from the perspective that we're looking to increase blood flow, right? We're we're looking to increase the fluidity and the slipperiness of the blood, so oxygen and white blood cells, i.e., leukocytes, white blood cells in the immune system that travel through the blood can make their way into wherever it needs to go from this perspective, getting more oxygen and micronutrients into the brain. That's vasodilation. The next thing is myelination, which is super fascinating and just so much research behind it. Basically what the myelin sheath is, the myelin sheath is the fatty tissue that insulates the nerve fibers and increases the connectivity of those neurons and the synaptic connections and the dendri the dendrites and all that it basically it, it insulates like if you imagine you have um from an electrical perspective you have um uh wiring and that's the same thing it's the best analogy you plug in a wire that has a rubber insulating material around it and you plug that from a wall to a computer or a wall to a refrigerator or whatever the electrical device is it's sending electrical currents 
that have information writing through it. And that rubber insulation is what allows those electrical currents to move through. Now, from a, a neuroprotective perspective, the myelin sheath, which is largely made out of fatty acids, it's also made out of certain minerals, um, magnesium and other things, vitamin B12, sulfur, um, uh, fatty acids like DHA and EPA actually build and saturated fat as well, also build out that fatty tissue. And that's what protects the nerve fibers from oxidation, i.e. neuroprotective um, or neurodegenerative uh, conditions. Because ultimately, when you think of these motor function dysfunction, motor dysfunction issues like Parkinson's, MS, multiple sclerosis, where somebody loses the functionality of their, their motor abilities, they can't move right there. There's an electrical disruption. There's a transmission disruption in the communication system of the electrical highway, i.e. the nervous system. We need to increase myelination. Now, that's so from a structural perspective of the nervous system, that, that's what myelin is doing. Now, there's other aspects of myelination from an accelerated learning potential and rewiring those synaptic connections, rewiring our, our physiology, our neurophysiology to habituate and adapt to new behaviors, new habits, new skills, for example, new movement patterns. There's a great story that I want to share really quickly about Albert Einstein. So at some point when I was diving into this research, and there's also, I just want to make this note, there's a great book by Daniel Coyle. The book is called The Talent Code. This was the first book I ever read that actually talked about myelination from an accelerated learning potential, and that's just a great book if you want to if you want to really study like the greatest achievers and, and particularly people that are most skilled in different domains of their fields. Um, that's a great book to to pick up and, and really look into that. So Albert Einstein, when I was studying his life, I found out that when he died, he had the brain of an eighteen year old. Right when he died. He was 60-something. I remember the exact number. I have it written down somewhere. This is like six years ago I, I, I did all this. He, when his brain was studied, and they did so many different, like they did autopsies. There were, there were weird stories about um, you know somebody carting his brain around in a hearse because they, they basically wanted to study his brain I, and just his inactive brain that had no consciousness in it. But they wanted to study his brain because obviously Albert Einstein was known to be one of the greatest geniuses uh, in world history. So they thought if they studied the, the physiology of his brain after they took it out of his body, which is pretty wild, that they could figure out how he, you know, how he, was, uh, how he was able to access the, his genius. Um, one thing that did come out of that, though, was that he had more gray matter – in his brain, which is related to myelin, he had more gray matter than the average human being, right? He didn't necessarily have a bigger brain, but he had certain regions of his brain that were more pronounced than other regions, right? Those would be more, that would be more the activity, you know, whatever, whatever regions were lit up and were more exercised 
they were more pronounced in other regions. They found out that he had more gray matter than the average person. And that is what allowed him to have the brain essentially of an 18 year old, even up to the point when he died. That's really powerful. That's really interesting. And uh, we're going to keep it moving from here. So the last thing I want to talk about on this note is something called neurotransmission. Neurotransmission. This is basically the production of what's called neurotransmitters, i.e. brain hormones. So the most common neurotransmitters that we think of are serotonin, our dopamine, our choline or acetylcholine, our GABA. Um, adrenaline is also a neurotransmitter and a hormone, which is very interesting. But let's focus on serotonin and dopamine as the the most focused and the most known neurotransmitters. So these are packets of information essentially. And we could obviously do an entire episode just on this topic and, and just talking about serotonin and dopamine. I just want to make the brief point. So your neurotransmitters run on neural networks. For example, serotonin is produced through the serotonergic system. Dopamine is produced through the dopaminergic system. GABA is produced through the GABAminergic system. And choline is produced through the cholinergic system. So there's an entire system for each one of these neurotransmitters. And these neurotransmitters are also produced primarily through what's called amino acids. For example, serotonin in the it's a tryptamine chemical and it's produced through the tryptamine chain and that is started out with an amino acid called tryptophan. Tryptophan creates 5-HTP, 5-hydroxytryptophan that converts into serotonin, right? Dopamine is produced by an amino acid called phenylalanine. And it's also by tyrosine. So tyrosine and phenylalanine both play their part in there. Tryptophan is the amino acid that starts that chain. Phenylalanine is part of it as well. And then you have something called L-DOPA, levodopa, which is the precursor for dopamine. Makuna, by the way, which is an Ayurvedic herb, is the highest concentrated food slash herb in the world of L-DOPA, which is why um, Makuna and L-DOPA in particular, there's pharmaceutical versions of L-DOPA, are used to treat Parkinson's patients because Parkinson's is largely a combination of a demyelination and a dopamine depletion, which is fundamentally housed in the adrenal glands, for example. So there's an adrenal exhaustion component that comes along with this. And I would say adrenal fatigue and adrenal exhaustion is part and parcel to all of this conversation because your hormone system plays a huge part in neurotransmission, in myelination, in all the different functions. Remember, this is a holistic thing. So the the brain complex also works on the endocrine system and the endocrine system and its functionality works on the neurological system as well. It's a feedback system essentially. So that's a little bit about neurotransmission. <clears throat> now, what I want to go through is two, two 101 deep dives into the brain and the nervous system. Now, obviously, we're not going to go into every nook and cranny. This is just like giving you a template to understand 
the brain, the physiology of the brain in certain compartments of the brain that I feel are most important to understand. And then we're going to go through the compartments of the nervous system. So let's talk about the human neurological system. This consists of the brain and the spinal cord where all electrical signals are run through the electrical highway of the body and also the brain where information can be stored. Okay, so let's talk about some of the compartments of the brain. We're going to talk about the neocortex, the limbic system, and the hippocampus. So the neocortex is the rational and conscious thinking center of the brain. It's the largest, most evolved portion of the brain, and the forebrain is part of that. The forebrain is the largest portion of the brain. It's about 40% of the overall brain itself, and it is what separates humans from all other species. It's also considered the executive center of the brain, the decision maker, the logic, and the ability to execute on our decisions, on logical thinking. So the neocortex, again, the rational and conscious thinking center, i.e. the executive center of the brain. When we become too emotional, by the way, we lose access to the forebrain and the neocortex. We lose access to our logic and our ability to make neutral decisions, logical decisions, and we lose our ability to execute properly on those conscious thought patterns, on those conscious logical thought patterns, right? Um, And that brings us to our next topic, which is the limbic system. So the limbic system is the emotional and feeling center, i.e. the chemical brain, as some people call it. It manufactures much of the body's chemistry set that becomes our feelings and our emotions. This means that the limbic brain has a massive influence into our epigenome and can literally be the difference between turning certain genes off and certain genes on through the production of stress-based chemicals or stress-reduction-based chemicals, right? It also has a huge part to play in regulating our autonomic nervous system, which controls the automatic functions of our body systems, i.e. the immune system, the cardiovascular system, and the endocrine system or our hormonal production. And what's interesting about the limbic system is that some people call it the survival system or in um, Dr. Alberto Valaldo's book, he has a great book called Grow a New Body. He, he likens the limbic system to the neural networks of fear and survival. So survival software and all the emotionality that's associated with that, i.e. trauma, wounding, PTSD or micro-PTSD, which most of us living in the quote-unquote civilized world, socialized world we've all experienced in one form or another for the most part that's all housed in the limbic brain so that's very very important to understand and then the third thing is the hippocampus the hippocampus is the emotional regulation center of the brain which also is part of the limbic system as well and um, there's actually i'll just read a quick um, uh, definition for the, the hippocampus. The hippocampus is part of the limbic system and plays important roles in the consolidation of information from short-term memory to long-term memory and spatial memory that enables navigation. 
So the hippocampus is extremely important. Obviously, all of these parts are very important. And this plays into the limbic system. And this is part of emotional regulation, learning, storing new information, memorizing new information, and the ability to execute information through the connectivity of the neocortex in the forebrain, i.e. the executive center. So all these things line up together and have to be in harmony with one another. And, uh, you know, we could do a lot more of a deep dive into why the hippocampus in particular um, can actually get um, broken down or can, can become ineffective. One of the things that's shown up in the research is DHA, hexanoic acid, which is the primary omega-3 fatty acid that you might find in fish oil. We've done an episode where we, we did a little bit of a deeper dive on this. Um, my preference is algae-based oil in combination with something called astaxanthin, which is one of the most powerful exogenous, meaning outside of the body, um, uh, antioxidants in the world. There's an amazing product by my friend Shervain. He owns a company called Symbiotica, and they have maybe the most amazing DHA product on the market. And it's an all-algae-based oil, and it's coated in astaxanthin, for uh, effective delivery into the body, and you know, I, I could do a, you know do a whole thing on 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 DHA and of itself how it helps to rewire. It's part of the myelination aspect as well, and it helps to build out forty percent of the brain tissue is made up in DHA itself. So that's very important. Now, if our if we're not able to uh, learn things very quickly, we're not able to take in new information. Um, that can also have to do with the emotional regulation center of the brain, i.e. the hippocampus in the limbic system. And we might just be over overwhelmed. We might have too much going on. And through meditative practices, breathwork practices, doing hydrotherapy, cold therapy, river plunging, ice baths, cold showers, this helps to reroute and re-regulate the nervous system so we can gain more control of what's called our autonomic nervous system, which we're going to talk a little bit more about, and gain more emotional regulation and tap into the power of the hippocampus in the limbic system, but not tapping into the survival software that's been set up. We actually have to, there has to be a synaptic pruning effect like we talked about before. So you see how these things are all, this is a lot of information, a lot of different ideas, but ultimately they all interweave and connect back together if you follow this train of thought. Um, so I'm going to leave it at that. Now, let's talk about, let me take a pause here. I know there's a lot coming at you. Let's talk about the compartments of the nervous system. So I'm going to keep this as short as possible. We're just going to kind of go skim through this. So you have the CNS, the central nervous system. You have the PNS, the peripheral nervous system. You have the autonomic nervous system. And then within the autonomic nervous system, you have the parasympathetic system, you have the sympathetic system, and then you have the ENS, which is the enteric nervous system. And then also there's the vagus nervous system or the vagal nerve, right? Now we've talked about most of this in prior episodes. So I'm just going to kind of go through a little bit about this and the points that I think are important before we move forward. 
So the CNS, the central nervous system, this is this is really dominant in your brain and spinal cord. And um, this is this is kind of the, the governing agency of all your activity, of all the activity, the input and the output that's occurring throughout the entire neurological structure, i.e. the nervous system. And then you have the PNS, the peripheral nervous system, which is localized just outside of the CNS. Now, what the peripheral nervous system does is it brings information into the CNS and takes information out of the CNS. So it's the communication interface of the nervous system complex, and um, it has sensory a sensory division, i.e. sensory neurons, and a motor division, which is also sometimes called the efferent division, which takes signals from sensory from the sensory division and directs it to the targeted cell which are called efferent neurons. So I really just recommend you uh, do a little more research, go a little bit deeper because we still have some more stuff to go through. And um, as I said, I just want to do a little skim over of all this. And so built into the peripheral nervous system is the autonomic nervous system. Okay, This is more of a point of focus here. So the autonomic nervous system has two compartments to it. It's the somatic nervous system, which controls voluntary movements. So a voluntary movement is basically you're volunteering your energy to contribute to a conscious movement, like moving your fingers, moving your hands, moving your neck, moving conscious movement patterns, in other words. And then you also have the non-voluntary or the autonomic divisions. Um, that's not really the best way of saying it, but the, the, the automatic functions, the involuntary functions of your, your system, which is digestion, respiration, cardio, you know, your cardiac rate, your, your cardio um, heart rate, your cardiovascular system, endocrine function, immunological function, all the things that are happening within your body that do not require your conscious voluntary participation, things that are happening with or without your conscious input, right? And the whole point of the autonomic nervous system is to maintain homeostasis and equilibrium of the entire system. Now, built into the ANS, the autonomic nervous system, is what we've all heard about, the parasympathetic system and the sympathetic system, right? Again, parasympathetic really loosely just means rest, digest, respiration, digestion, all the autonomic involuntary functions of being in homeostasis and equilibrium with your body. And then you have the sympathetic system, which is sometimes considered the primitive nervous system, which translates to fight, flight, freeze, or hide. Now, one thing that I want to point out about this, because we talked extensively about both of these things in prior episodes, one point that I did not make before was how your immune system is impacted when you're in a sympathetic overload syndrome, i.e. you're overloaded with stress, you're overwhelmed, um, you're chronically in your head, you can't get in your heart, there's no sense of head-heart coherence, which we've talked about. What ends up happening when you're in a fight, flight, or freeze-slash-hide condition is that your immune system shuts down the blood flow 
it pulls out the blood from the immune system and blood is pumped into the extremities as if you were in a threat situation. Because when you are actually having the experience of being in the primitive nervous system, you're in a fight, flight, or freeze uh, condition, physiology, then your immune system actually is not the priority. Your immune system deregulates itself, dysregulates itself, and all the blood pools into the outer extremities so you can run, so you can fight, so you can go and hide, right? That's a very important perspective, and this is one of the reasons that chronic disease, degeneration, um, mental illness, all emotional discomposure, chronic stress is just running rampant is because our immunological function has been completely compromised. And probably the biggest aspect of it is through sympathetic overload, not being in equilibrium with the parasympathetic system, which essentially is healing, regenerative, and equanimitous and seeks to create harmony with the entire system, right? So it's it's off kilter, it's imbalanced. And there's much more we could talk about with that, but we're going to we're going to kind of keep it moving here. So the next thing is the ENS, the enteric nervous system, which is housed in your gastrointestinal system. It's your second brain. So that's the gut brain. It communicates with the central nervous system through the autonomic System. So again, this points back to the back to what we we're just talking about. If you are stuck in the fight, flight, freeze, or hide syndrome, and your sympathetic system is on red alert, your immune system is not working. Because remember, ninety percent of your immune system is housed in your gut, i.e., the communication through the enteric nervous system. Then the ENS itself becomes compromised, and the communication between your gut and your brain. Um, becomes inhibited, becomes compromised, right? Um, And then this also has to do with your intuition and your primal instinct, your ability to receive intuitive guidance, higher intelligence, um, wisdom from your higher self, or just let's just call it intuition or instinct is not really available. So we're always, we're always actually in our ego, basically. The sympathetic system is basically ego dominant. That's why it's called the primitive nervous system because all the ego concerns are basically fear, fornication, fighting, uh, you know, running away, freezing. It's all survival based, right? It's primitive. So we have to update and upgrade the operating system, and by down-regulating the sympathetic nervous system, letting our body know that everything is just fine, all of our needs are completely met, everything is good, and then you start to upregulate the the gut-microbiome connection and get the ENS working back online. And then the last part is the vagus nerve. We talked about this in a prior episode as well. The vagus nerve is the intermediary between the parasympathetic and sympathetic, i.e. the autonomic nervous system. Polyvagal um, stimulation therapy, certain types of body work, which I'm actually going to go in depth here. So I'm going to kind of digress a little bit and talk a little bit more about how that works. But look, that's the compartments of the nervous system, um, simply put. And now we have much more of a diagram understanding of the brain and the nervous system and 
how all these systems are functioning, working together or working in opposition, i.e. the sympathetic system is working in opposition. And just just for perspective here before we move on, your sympathetic system is not like bad. Your ego is not bad, right? It's just a point of imbalance. You need cortisol. You need adrenaline to get up and go. The one thing that actually separates us from other four-legged animals that walk on all fours is that we can move upright. We're bipedal. The ability to move upright on two feet is an adrenalized phenomenon, meaning we have adrenaline that moves us upright. Yeah. But if we lose our adrenal power, we have an adrenal exhaustion. We have a dopamine deficiency. We have a mineral deficiency. We have a hormone collapse our body actually will progressively descend downward. And that's why you see people that, um, you know, in their elderly years, they have back problems. They're gravitationally being suppressed down and down until they're six feet down under the ground, right? It's a, it's a materialization and it's a calcification, essentially. So I just want to bring a little bit of balance to that perspective as well. Okay, so now... We are going to get into some more interesting territory here. I want to talk about the right and left hemispheres of the brain. And I want to come from the two perspectives. The, probably about 10 years ago, when I was really deep in the raw food journey and just exploring detoxification, all the different aspects of raw food and all the different pioneers and and all the proponents of raw food, I literally was studying everybody. I know all those guys. I either know them personally or I know of them. And there was a very interesting gentleman by the name of Timothy Wright, Dr. Timothy Wright. He wrote a book called Left in the Dark, which is extremely fascinating. Now, what that book is essentially talking about is the hemispheres of the brain, particularly how he was able to start shutting down the overactivity of the left hemisphere of the brain, which is associated with, you know, it's associated with like hyperanalyzation, abacus thinking, weighing everything out, super, super logical, computing everything, trying to work things out like mathematical equations and that thing. And then the right hemisphere of the brain is often um, considered more the creative emotional, um, empathetic side of the brain. It's more associated with creativity, dreaming, magic, synchronicity, that kind of thing. Um, so what Dr. Timothy Wright, um, in his book, it's a really fascinating book, but one of the things I want to bring up here is that he holds the world Guinness record for staying up longer than any other human being, meaning sleep deprivation. It's 12 days and nights, if I remember correctly. 12 days and nights, he stayed up without sleeping. Now, when we hear about all the sleep research and the importance of sleep, a lot of people will immediately jump on this and say, well, well that, first of all, that's impossible. He would be dead and, and you know, oh, that's extremely unhealthy. I'm not saying it's healthy or unhealthy. I'm saying that this man cracked a code where he was able to stay up for six days and six nights. One of the things that he talked about was fasting, particularly doing fruit fasting. He was a fruitarian at the time, or he was very fruit focused. Again, not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying this is what 
was born out of his particular experience and research. He found out that the right hemisphere of the brain doesn't need any rest, but the left hemisphere of the brain does. In other words, when we're always thinking, weighing things out, mathematically equating things, and otherwise, other words, we're in our head all the time, we're always thinking, 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 we exhaust our cognitive capacity and our body gets very worn out and tired and it needs sleep to process all that thinking and information. But what he basically did is he found a way to stay almost entirely in the right hemisphere of the brain. At least that's the way that it's explained. I don't know if that's really totally possible, but he basically was able to stay in that creative magic zone through a combination of fasting, high fruit intake. And he was basically just, that's, that's his story in a nutshell, right? You can do more research into it. Very fascinating thing. I wanted to bring that up because nobody else is going to talk about that. Nobody else even knows about that. That's just born out of my interesting rabbit holes of research that I stumbled on in my, you know, in my exploration into these things. And then I want to talk about the right hemisphere of the brain really quick. And this can actually lead us into a very interesting topic called samsara or the wheel of suffering, which most people would not equate to this topic. But of course, I'm not most people. And I am going to equate it to this topic of mental and cognitive health. So I've talked about this in a prior episode a little bit. My colleague and uh, one of my great mentors and philosophical um, contemporaries, Michael Tessarian, in our second interview together, if you didn't listen to it, it's called Timeless Mind, Ageless Body Wisdom. And he talked about how the right hemisphere of the brain houses the stored trauma of ancestral imprinting. Okay, this is a very important idea. We cannot get away from this. I know we're talking about the neurophysiology. We're talking about the the mechanics. We're talking about the engineering of the body and more of the science. But we also have to bring in this idea that our brain has stored the recorded suffering, the recorded trauma and PTSD of our ancestors and our genetic lineage, and we are the recipients of all the unresolved, unprocessed information that has occurred through the timelines of our genetic lineage. Um, Because no supplement, uh, and by the way, supplements are extremely important, especially if you have deficiencies that are affecting your brain, very important. Um, It can help you become more balanced mentally, emotionally, physically, however, Sometimes people are suffering from archetypal wounding and psychological wounding that is not even really necessarily their own, but they're trying to supplement it or diet away. And that isn't actually the most effective thing. It'll help you get baseline because you can have a chemical imbalance. You can have a nutrient deficiency that is affecting your ability to process life. But let's bring in this idea of the samsara. And this is a, this is a Vedic Hindu perspective. Um, the samsara is essentially the wheel of suffering. It's the wheel of karma. Let's talk about karma. 
Karma is the repeated habits, patterns, and actions that have an addictive compulsive component to them and remain as blind spots in our conscious awareness until we gain full consciousness of them and take the actions to override the programmed patterning and begin to reroute it, i.e. synaptic prune or to anti-memorize the karmic patterns that have led to the perpetual wheel of samsara suffering. This is how we get off the wheel of samsara, i.e. karma, and move towards our dharma. Let's take that in for a second before we move on. This is no trivial thing. I mean, the whole episode could have been just on this one particular thing, but I just wanted to bring this in as a point of reference. What most people are dealing with is not just physical, chemical, or even just electrical. It's archetypal, the archetypal wounding. You could, you could equate that to a spiritual wounding. There's different forms of pain and suffering that we go through in life. There's physical pain, the sensory sensations that we experience from physical impact, torn t- ligaments, um, some kind of physical sensation, right? There's psychological, mental pain that we go through. There's emotional pain. And then there's something else, which is spiritual pain, archetypal pain and wounding, which creates existential issues, existential crisis, the crisis of meaning, right? This is a very important distinction. Not all pain is the same. There's chronic and acute It's chronic inflammation, acute inflammation, systemic inflammation, and then spiritual inflammation. I want to bring that in because really one of the things that inhibits cognitive capacity is the trauma that we carry along with us and how that blocks us from living into our dharma or our most authentic life purpose. I promise you, and in this actually, I, now that I think about it, if you go back to the episode in season three where we talked about brainwave states, it's the ultimate cross-reference. Because when we're in a, a beta state, hyperactivity, hypermental activity, then we, we're more of a, a sympathetic uh, stress response state. And this is also related to the karma or repeated addictive compulsive habits that we might perpetuate as a way to cope with the underlining archetypal or spiritual pain that is occurring. This could also be mental pain, emotional pain. They're all all really just interwoven together, right? You heal one, you begin to heal the other. And ultimately, how to increase neuroprotective qualities – outside of all the practical stuff that we're going to get into, is to gain spiritual insight. To gain, um, because, you know, when you look at gamma states of brainwave and you look at hypergamma, and then you look at the more, the more extreme brain states that are related to monks that we talked about in that episode, these are all the release of samsara scars, some, some scaric scars the scars of wounding or karma in entering into dharma. And there is a connection between entering into your dharma or authentic life purpose and the full activity and coherence of your brain and your heart unified as one. 
So that's a very important thing that I want to put out there. Um, distill it for yourself, whatever that means for yourself. And again, this episode is not standing on its own. This episode is an extension of all the episodes before it. So if you just go, if you've gone through those episodes and you're putting the pieces together, then hopefully these ideas that I'm sharing with you make a lot more sense. Okay, let's talk about the final thing in this episode, which is longevity strategies for neuroprotection. Okay, so I have a number of practical strategies that I think is really, really uh, cool, really awesome. You can immediately take action on them. And um, I want to read a quote from Joe Dispenza. He says that one hour of focused attention on one thing or one new concept can literally double the number of synaptic connections in the brain. So learning and engaging with new information, new concepts, new movement patterns can increase synaptogenesis. So let's start with that. Novelty. How does your brain remap and remodel itself, rewire itself? Well, you do it through novelty, new life experiences. This helps to rewire the neural pathways of the brain. Changing your external environment helps to change the inner environment. And the inner environment through what you put in your mouth and changing your diet and getting on living foods and cleansing and detoxing will actually open up a space for you to change your external environment as well. So it's it's a harmonic feedback loop. That's been my experience. That's been the experience of countless people that I've talked to and studied over the last decade or so. Um, So novelty, doing something new every day, pushing the boundaries of your cognitive capacity, your ability to learn new things, that, that uncomfortable zone. And this is the myelination effect, the rewiring of neuropathways in the brain. That's what myelination essentially is remyelinating new circuits in the brain to um, adapt to new stimulus, new input. So novelty, constantly learning. And this brings us to the next thing, which is practical, practical activities that have been associated with longevity of the brain, board games, puzzles, critical thinking exercises, reading, public speaking, music, learning musical instruments, or even in singing, some some form of creative engagement and engaging with your full attention on these new things. I would also add walking from an exercise perspective. And we're going to, and there's also this perspective of new and dynamic movement patterns. That's why this whole new field in the exercise physiology space around new movement patterns, not just lifting weights, not just doing the same rope routines that you're used to to build muscle, but doing nervous system based exercise and movement patterns, changing up the movement patterns, rewiring those circuits to adapt to new stimulus through movement. And that increases something called BDNF, brain-derived neurotropic factor, which essentially is like nerve growth factors. There's different types of um, BDNF-related chemicals that are produced in the brain through different types of exercise and movement patterns, running, particularly running uphill. 
not just running long distances, which can actually be detrimental to, to your skeletal structure, your bone matrix, your joints, your, your ligaments, tendons, and also to your cardiovascular system. It turns out many marathon runners actually suffer from heart disease and heart attacks, very interestingly enough. But doing HIIT training, high-intensity interval training – Maximum intensity in the shortest amount of time, rest, breathe, respirate, return back to it, um, running up hills, running stairs, doing things that are inclined. So it, it, it forces your body to go into a high intensity, short burst activity, which gets all the utilization of all of your muscle faculties, your, your, your whole system, right? It takes your whole focus. Um, there's so much we can say about just the exercise perspective. That's a huge part of this. And then another thing that's interesting is vibration and sound therapy. Um, I have a friend, his name's Dr. Steven Schwartz, and he developed, um, this biomat technology. If you heard about biomats, they're usually like this, this infrared thermal, um, amethyst crystal infused mats that are supposed to penetrate the cells similar to like an infrared sauna. Um, I've never really found any of those to be very effective really, but he, he developed a technology that's utilizing a similar theme, but it's vibration and sound therapy. Now, I think we've talked a little bit more about that. And there's a science called cymatics, which is the, the visual measurement of the geometrical organization or the vibration and how it geometrically represents itself in different um, geometric patterns, similar to like Dr. Masuramoto's research on water, how our conscious intent and energy actually shapes the geometric formation of the water molecules, i.e. the structure of the water. This is why structured water is so important and obviously critically important to brain health. Um, but, but vibration and sound therapy is powerful because sound and vibration and frequency is how all of our cells are communicating through light frequencies, i.e. biophotons. So that's just something to just know about vibration and sound therapies. And that can help to create more of a harmonic synthesis between the hemispheres of the brain that can tap you into those deeper, um, you know, gamma, gamma wave, uh, brain wave states and, and use that in conjunction with meditation and breath work. Extremely, extremely powerful. Um, one thing that I didn't mention and I didn't have on my notes, and you can go back to the episode on entheogens or psychedelic plant medicines, that obviously is part of this conversation. I just want to make that note. Microdosing, in particular, microdosing psilocybin. There's people that microdose ayahuasca. Um, I did a two-week microdose of iboga at one point. Um, psilocybin has the most clinical research. John Hopkins and, and other MAPS and other, um, other organizations that have devoted their entire research to psilocybin and also MDMA-induced um, 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 clinical clinical trials and, and therapies as well. This has all been very well documented. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna make that note um, without going deep into it, but it relates to everything that we've talked about with vasodilation, increasing the serotonergic system, increasing serotonin in the brain, 
um, myelination, neurogenesis, all of it. Um, then there's also earthing and grounding. Interesting research that comes about when you look at the earthing phenomenon from a vasodilation perspective, there may be nothing more powerful than getting barefoot on a conductive natural surface like grass, like sand, like um, getting into a body of ocean, a body of water like an ocean or a river, which actually has an effect on your biofield. It helps discharge dissonant or aberrant frequencies or energies that embed themselves on the biofield and cause um, us to become, you know, lethargized, lack of energy, tired, fatigued, all that kind of thing. Now, when you get bare skin on the earth, the estimated number is between 45 minutes and 90 minutes. And there is um, there is a thinning of the blood effect a very powerful thinning of the blood effect. All the research is out there. I've, I've, I looked at it about 10 years ago and have just updated over the years on that. Grounding has just been something so powerful. And part of that idea is that what grounding helps you do is it actually helps to synergize the hemispheres of the brain and it helps you get more into the right side of the brain and less in the analytical brain. That's why meditating has always been kind of pictorially depicted with nature. So getting in nature is critically, critically important in grounding to the ecstatic skin of the earth and getting into bodies of of cold water, preferably. Um, A few more things, specific forms of non-aggressive chiropractic and body work. So there's two individuals that I'm very close to. One of them, um, his name is Dr. George Cromack. He is the best chiropractor I've ever come across. And, uh, you know, he's worked on people like Dr. Gabriel Cousins for, you know, literally over a decade. He's worked on David Wolf. He's worked on many of these pioneers, and they all um, really tout his work as being some of the best. Basically, what he's doing in his chiropractic work, he's not really focused on the the traditional jerking and cracking of the, the vertebrae and the bones and that kind of thing. He's actually unsubluxating the adhesions that get stored in the vertebrae, particularly in the neck and the occipital, right underneath the occipital lobe and the skull. And what happens is these adhesive calcified stony kind of like or scar tissue and protein deposits, they get stuck in there and we lose the ability to transmit electrical flow from the spinal cord all the way up into the brain. And we develop all these these tense neck issues, um, headaches, all that kind of thing. So what he does is actually unsubluxate those adhesions, not through cracking or twarting, but through expanding and elongating the, the neck and the spine. And it pops out all those adhesive scar tissue calcified stony materials. I've done tons of sessions with him. It's literally changed my life. It's all the injuries that I've gotten, all the 
the micro tears and stuff, it's, it's been a game changer. So he's in Arizona. His name's Dr. George Cromack. He has a YouTube channel. You can follow him. There's another gentleman who's a very, very close friend of mine. He lives in Kauai, Hawaii. His name is Micah Sky, and he developed a science called neuromuscular release therapy, which actually focalizes a lot on the vagus nerve. I've done a ton of sessions with him, some of the, the most intense body work I've ever done in my life, but also some of the most powerful and effective for rewiring the entire neuromuscular system and the electrical system itself, i.e. the structural system of the body and releasing a lot of that stored trauma that gets stuck in, you know, through the vagus nerve getting stuck and locked in and that sympathetic stress response, that work that he does is very similar. It's a different approach, but very similar in, in desired outcome. So his name is Micah Sky. He lives in Hawaii. Definitely worth looking into. The last thing I want to talk about on this is specific nutrients for brain and nervous system. So just in short, we've talked about this. You could go back over the episode on the top 10 favorite supplements in season one to go back over this. We're talking about macro and trace minerals. We're talking about omega-3 fatty acids, having a full spectrum, the ALA, alpha-linolenic acid, and then you have EPA, and then you have DHA, having all of those things in combination, lowering the amount of omega-6 fatty acids and increasing the omega-3 fatty acids, um, vitamin B12, and all combination of B vitamins, particularly folate or vitamin B9, which is a cofactor, vitamin B6, B9, and B12 in combination, vitamin B3, which is associated with um, niacinamide or niacin. Niacinamide would be the non-flush version. Niacin, doing niacin flushes, by the way, one thing that you can look up to look up for, especially for detoxing heavy metals, is Dr. George Yu's detoxification program. In my book, The Holistic Health Mastery Program, and in my online course, The Holistic Health Mastery Program, I do an entire thing on detoxification, and I do an entire episode and also a segment in my book on Dr. George Yu's detoxification program. He uses niacin flushing. He uses uh, infrared sauna, he uses activated charcoal, and he uses um, rebounding as a way to increase lymphatic flow and accelerate the immune system and start detoxing all those stored toxins, particularly the heavy metals, the pharmaceutical drugs, street drugs, whatever the residue is in our, in our cells to help pop that out and start chelating it out and detoxing it out of the body. Detoxing heavy metals, critically important, zeolites, um, bentonite clay, all forms of clay, chlorella, activated charcoal. These are all very, very important things for overall neuroprotective. And also, if somebody does have a neurodegenerative condition, then working on that as well. These all work, you know, these all work in conjunction. Ideally, we want to be prophylactic. We want to be preventative. We want to increase our cognitive capacity and our neurological health before there's some sort of issue. But if there is an issue, then we need to attack it strong. And all of these things have their part to play. And uh, you can really do a lot more research on the internet and, and you know people that have specialized in all this kind of stuff. 
I'm just giving you the cliff notes. I'm just giving you the summary of so much of the research that I've done and looked into all of this. So, wow, what an episode. So many different things we've covered in this episode, like many other episodes. Just It's my style. It's how I like to do it. And I hope that you got a lot of value out of this. I hope that you enjoyed this. There's, um, there's a lot of different supplements, a lot of different things that you can do to protect your brain. And um, go back over that episode in season one, the top 10 supplements, because all of those supplements – are part of this protocol. Every single one of those supplements is part of a brain protective regenerative protocol. So I just want to make that note. Okay. Well, that's it for me. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Um, We will see you in the next episode as we start to close out season four on longevity strategies. Aloha. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of High Performance Health. Remember the saying, knowledge is power. Well, knowledge is only power when the knowledge has been applied. So, before you leave, I want to recommend five basic principles that, if done each day, will result in physical vitality, emotional well-being, and increased mental agility, as well as overall resilience to all forms of stress. Number one, take 10 deep diaphragmatic breaths each morning when waking up and each night before sleeping. Number two, remember one liter of high quality structured water each morning before eating. Number three, eat only when hungry. Do not eat too much too fast and bless your food each and every day. Number four, close your eyes. Put your hands on your heart and relax your nervous system. And number five, only use phones when necessary. Keep your back upright when on the computer and shut down screen time in 90 minutes prior to going to bed. There you go, my friend. I hope you take what you learned in this episode and create the life you deserve. You can support this podcast by going to www.hhphealth.com forward slash review to give us a rating and a review. This helps boost us in the iTunes ratings and makes this podcast more visible to more people in the world. You can also join the discussion on our Facebook community group by going to www.hhphealth forward slash group. And finally, you can also check out all of my current coaching programs, courses, books, podcast episodes, and more by going to www.hhphealth.com. Thank you for being part of the health and healing movement. And until next time, make the rest of your life the best of your life. Aloha.